every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona. Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour. And this is one of those months where we get five Saturdays. So we rotate in uh, special guests and different points of interest that we think would be fun to talk about. Hopefully you'll find this enjoyable, too, because we've got a returning guest. It's been a while, Paul, but uh, welcome back. We've got Paul Holdeman, the Pond Gnome. Why don't you give us a little introduction to who our our audience is going to be learning from today? Yeah. Thank you very much, Romy. It's great being back, by the way, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm uh, uh, the Pond Gnome, which has been around for 20 years, is a company that my wife and I started and uh, back in February of 2000. Since then, we've been rocking the pond world here in uh, Arizona. We've got clients in Sholo, Las Vegas, and Tucson, so within that area, we've... Um, Put in quite a few ponds over the last few years and maintain a whole bunch of them. What was it that made y'all decide? You know, we're gonna we're gonna build ponds for. You know, interesting uh, story. When I got out of college, I went into property management, and although eighty percent of my job then was financials, my biggest problems, the majority of my calls were all about the lakes and ponds in our various <laughs> HOA communities, and I spent. It was literally my biggest headache, and so I started having to do research into you know how to deal with all the problems we were running into with our water features. And in doing that research, I started getting more and more interested in the industry, the hobby, and all that. And next thing I knew, I was sucked into it full time. <laughs> Excellent. If you'd like to join the conversation or ask a question, talk to Mr. Holderman about a pond project you may have or an existing one, or planning a new one, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411-923 or send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. And to talk through, a, you know, what, what types? Are these big projects, little projects? Are these waterfalls? You know, a lot yeah. of times we'll recommend a water feature as a noise cancellation, if somebody lives next to a busy street, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably the cheapest thing you can do to cancel that out because building walls higher, you got limitations, a lot of expense. Just, just put a little trickling sound of water in there. Yeah, you know, um, getting into the business, it was all about how do I keep my water clear in the face of fish and birds and everything else that's visiting and um, defecating up the water body and, and that kind of thing. But uh, over time, we've... We do everything from fountain features to do just what you're talking about, cancel out neighbor noise more than road noise. We don't talk about canceling out road noise so much as blending it. And Because um, uh, canceling, you know, people will be sitting underneath a freeway stack and say, I want to get rid of the road noise. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we'll move because I'm not going to be able to do that. But I can build you a big waterfall and the sound of the water and the sound of the cars kind of blend together and you won't notice it as much. Um but that the uh, so fountain features is a and, and waterfall features is definitely part of our business model. Um, living water features with fish and frogs and turtles and snakes and all the kinds of things that you might keep in your backyard as pets that need organic water sources. That's the largest part of our business. 
And then um, we do quite a bit of uh, uh, large feature management. And, of course, the biggest trend of the day and everybody's calling about lately is recreational ponds that you can not only raise fish in but let your kids swim around in like Oak Creek. And um, that's become a huge – I mean, we get probably – Five years ago, I hadn't even heard of a recreational pond. Now we're getting something like four or five calls a month on them. Very cool. And we'll get to those because uh, that that's our dream is to put one of those recreational ponds at our property. But over uh, over the course of 20 years, do you have two or three standout jobs that y'all completed that you're like, that's that's going on the cover of our company portfolio? Well, my my absolute favorite project that I take people to time and again um, is probably the Regents Apartments in North Scottsdale. Uh, we harvest rainwater off the parking lots. They had a retention basin that the original developer had put a koi pond, a cement koi pond in the middle of, and every time it rained, the koi kept dying. And they called me out. All the oil from the parking lot. Because all of the, yeah, everything off the parking lot's (laughs) running into the pond. So they brought me out and said, how can you fix this? And I go, well, well, let's turn it into a living riparian area and forget the koi. Let's just make it what it should be. And and so we're now harvesting. Every time there's a rain event, we harvest about 4,000 gallons of water. And we run a series of streams and waterfalls in the central area of the apartment complex that... um, We've had people that have moved out of the apartments there and called us when they get in their new house and say, I can't live without that outside my back door anymore. <laughs> Come over and put in a new system for us just like that one. And um, it's uh, the, the point of pride is, is that there's frogs, toads, and fish living in the streams. And I told the owners we probably couldn't keep those things alive. But our wetland filters and the way the circulation system is set up, um, we're not losing any of the aquatic life in these features, even in the face of rain, which I didn't even know was possible, honestly. But we use the formulas that we stick with all the time, and it's been a huge success. We and lo- where are those? I, I, not that we want to send the entire yeah. listening audience. To well, <laughs> and, and honestly, the apartments, they're always looking for new residents, so they don't mind the traffic, and they don't mm. mind me talking about it. But um, they're over um, near the 101 in Frank Lloyd Wright, and it's called the Regents Apartments, which is going through a bit of a remodel right now. So they're they're actually upgrading all their landscaping surrounding our pond and had us come in and expand on our system. Um, the original install is 15 years old, and just last year we went in and expanded and created more streams, and they wanted more water views and things. So we went in and spent another chunk of money expanding all that. Very cool. And we've got to address this because anytime we talk about something that's water-related in the desert, we get people calling like, you shouldn't have a lawn, you shouldn't have a pool, mm-hmm. you shouldn't water a mulberry. Right. You know, you, the, 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 that, that's not a responsible use of water in, in the desert. And so to address all those calls and emails we're going to get ahead of time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my, my response, my pat response, and I don't know how popular it's going to be on the show, but I'm going to say it anyway, is uh, you shouldn't build that 10,000-home community out north of me. <laughs> All right. So the truth is that, that Arizona has done a great job with um, acquiring and managing water. And um, ponds are um, use a little bit less water than a lawn that you're keeping green all year. Average lawn, average pond, your lawn's actually using more water if you're keeping it green in the wintertime doing the ryegrass thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we figure, um, and this is a U, off a U of A study that was done a couple decades ago, um, they assume a 60-inch inches a year of water loss from an open body of water so and that's from studies they did on everything from cow tanks to swimming pools 
And um, add a big waterfall to that, you're enhancing that evaporation, obviously. Um, so we tend to, when people call us and say they want a six-foot waterfall, we try and talk them down from that. <laughs> hey, let's make this a little more environmentally friendly, and we'll give you a stream and, and maybe a two-foot waterfall, which will give you plenty of sound in your average track home backyard. And um, uh, so dropping the water off the fence is not only a recipe for water loss but from evaporation, but also leaking. Um, splash leaks and all kinds of things of that nature. So we try and design our features so that we're staying within the the tolerance level that was established by um, the people that studied this at U of A 25 years ago. And you already answered one of these questions earlier. Uh, I was water sources. You, you had mentioned you are collecting rainwater in one application. Yep. Um, can you just use your your garden hose and fill up the water once the pond is ready? What, what's the water source initially? So 80% of our installations are municipal water. We attach a float valve to the irrigation system and, and just keep the water, compensate for evaporation basically with a float valve set up. Um, we don't recommend using a garden hose because that'll waste more water than you can believe. And here's how. You throw the hose in the pond to fill it up and top it off and then the phone rings. And the next thing you know, water's coming in the back door. Mom so, and dad are laughing because <laughs> growing up, that was the hose in the pool. I Many mornings we woke up and thought we magically had SRP flood irrigation <laughs> right? installed overnight. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the, now it's but, the uh, courtyard fountain. But the pool was full. Yeah, right. The pool was full. The lawn was full. The patio was full. Yeah, exactly. So we actually um, insist on a float valve when we're doing a new install. We you know, don't want to set you up for that kind of headache. So um, municipal water is uh, the number one source. And then rainwater. Um, I have a stream in front of my house about uh, 30 foot long, and it's got a two, It's built on top of a 2,000-gallon rainwater harvesting cistern, and the stream circulates through that cistern. And I'd say we're using rainwater to run that stream something like eight to nine months a year. And I'm only asking this next one because I have been asked for it, and I'm assuming the answer is no, but you, you would never want to incorporate your gray water collection on something like that. There are people that specialize in it. We're not one of them. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll give a shout out to one of my buddies in that business. Okay. His name is Douglas Crowell, and he's out in the East Valley and, and works out of a, a business in the Tempe area. But um, if somebody wanted to contact me and get Douglas's contact information, I'll make sure they get it. And there are, he manages several ponds that use reclaimed water, actually. Hmm. And that's everything that drains out of your house except the toilet and the kitchen sink. Um, and in and, and a true, quote, gray water system. Yeah, you wouldn't use the toilet. You probably wouldn't use the kitchen sink. And Doug can definitely get into it more with them than that. But they reclaimed water is actually, you know, most of the golf courses are using reclaimed water in their ponds. And those are the types of plate things that Douglas manages. Which is why we don't fish there. <laughs> that, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, other ponds that people could go and, and see, you've got on your website – and you'd mentioned contacting you, it's pondgnome.com. And you actually have a list of, of ponds that are in public places people could go see. Semi-public ponds, sure, which are on spread out across college campuses and some of the commercial businesses that we work for. Um, and we'll, uh, we actually give out the addresses and everything of, of clients that are okay with extra traffic over the pond. And some of them are not only okay, but please come and take a look. We love this thing. We want to show it to everybody. You've got the West Valley Rock and Landscape. Look, looks like you did an install on in Buckeye. In then Buckeye. Mesa yeah. Community, uh, yep. College Red Mountain Spectacular Campus. Spectacular wildlife habitat there. 
uh, top shelf restaurant. Uh, you've even got your home address listed <laughs> for that front yard stream. And if by appointment, they can come back in the back and see our little, um, um, koi and cool off pond. I actually get in and cool off on hot days when I'm gardening and it's full of koi as well. Very cool. And, uh, where did my, I clicked off of it. <laughs> um, oh, I got a break. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm usually the one that keeps us you're, on time. I'm looking you're, at you too, going. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna take he's, a break? he's he's in deep in this topic. Oh, I sure. I dream about I our living pond. We've got <laughs> we've got a, a, a small lawn, and we've got a mulberry on each side, mm. and the mulberries are going to have a shade canopy, and we're just going to be able to walk right from the lawn into into the living pond, and the dirt we pull out yeah, is going to have a little bit of a waterfall off the back. You'll be able to swing off of a rope out of the mulberry tree and make a big splash. But we'll get to. Uh, that and if you'd like to join the conversation, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions four one one nine two three or info at rosieonthehouse dot com. We can do a lot of things, but we can't stop the clock. There's a place where I can sit, just me, myself, and I on my pond. On my pond. On my pond. That actually ties in great to the segue. The questions I wanted to get to in this segment, we're talking with Paul Holdeman of the Pond Gnome and uh, Greg Peterson, who was the one that said, you know, it's been a while since you guys had ponds. We should do ponds again and uh, brought us to this uh, this topic today. I'm going to steal a term from him, stacking functions. What, what are all the functions you could stack in a pond? What about, you'd mentioned fish. Are, are these koi or can I put like some, which if you're on the desert floor, we're obviously too hot for trout, but could you put in some catfish? Um, yeah, people do keep catfish in their ponds. Um, uh, they'll also keep, I'm, you know, a couple of my favorite fish outside of koi, and I will tell you over half the ponds we put in end up with either koi or decorative goldfish of some kind in them. Uh, but we definitely have clients that uh, have put in game fish ponds. Um, they'll um, keep kind of pets in their ponds where they fish with fish for them or play with them with uh, barbless hooks and um, uh, bream is probably the number one recommendation from me which is known here as bluegill Um, but the industry calls them bream still for the most part Um, but bluegill uh, shell crackers which is another type of bream which uh, um, are two very popular ones I've had people keep largemouth bass in their ponds, um, which they're king of the pond. If you've got them, they're going to eat whatever they can fit in their mouth. Um, Hence largemouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. How uh, big of a pond would we need to put in at the office so our annual catfish boil, po' boy, <laughs> can, uh, you know, Gary and I can go back there and catch enough catfish to make po' boys for the whole office. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> you know, ready. That tends to be a long conversation. How many and what are your goals as far as water clarity and what are your goals as far as um, outside of the catfish? But, you know, I wouldn't put in anything smaller than, say, a 20 by 20 by four foot deep to put catfish in. That's smaller than I was thinking I would need. Yeah, and you can raise maybe a dozen to 20 nice-sized catfish in a body of water that size. And the thing is, shell crackers, they get pretty big. They can. They get up to four pounds, I think. Four pounds something is the record. Um, what about other pets? You'd mentioned earlier, you know, a, a few of them, turtles, snakes. 
Yeah. Uh, you lost me at snake, but frogs and snails and turtles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. I love I, the I love all reptiles, including snakes. So I, I couldn't sell that one to the family. <laughs> <laughs> I could sell turtles and frogs, but I couldn't sell them on the snake. <laughs> so frogs are my favorite. I um, have a population of lowland leopard frogs living on my property. Which your Kermit yeah. intro is what tied yeah, in perfectly because right? yeah. I had that for this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, industry-wide, turtles are probably the favorite, um, probably the most popular uh, outside of fish. And, uh, in fact, um, uh, I belong to a, he calls it a tribe of, of certified contractors in my field that, uh, that our fearless leader, I always joke, is, is his, 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 he got into the industry because of his love for turtles. And that's how he started the whole craze on, in backyard water gardens. Now, I would thing. think you would want frogs to help with the mosquitoes. Um, you know, frogs definitely help with mosquitoes, but dragonflies and a little organism called Gambusia finis is our number one um, uh, defense against mosquito problems. And in fact, um, a couple of the top entomologists I interviewed years ago at the University of Arizona said, uh, uh, I'll give you a quote from one of them, uh, Don Gouge, who said, uh, a healthy pond full of hungry fish is your number one mosquito defense mechanism that you can put in your garden. And that is way and above electric zappers, which are um, uh, indiscriminate and kill everything that flies around at night. And a lot of the insects that fly around at night are beneficial. So bug zappers are um, only minimally effective because all the bugs that eat mosquitoes are being zapped in there too. Whereas in a pond, um, mosquito larvae are the favorite food of a little organism called gambusia, which people know as mosquito minnows. So I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned it, but talking about pets and, and ponds and, and the wildlife, will will this attract bats because of the nighttime and the insects? Do you, do you end up with a lot of pond owners that now have bats in the neighborhood? We've got some pond owners in the Cave Creek area that say the bats are skimming on their pond all night long. <laughs> it's amazing to watch. So we'll actually light their pond so that they uh, can watch the activity. And bats tend to drink in motion, so you got to build a pond. If you want bats around, then you got to build the pond big enough that the bats can strafe it for their water. And how cool! <laughs> That's and, cool. And we're not going to get to it, but I wanted to talk in stacking functions. You know, working the pond into gardens as, uh, and you know, part of gardening. Every gardener will tell you, bat guano is is gold. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it just you're creating a whole regenerative ecosystem and in, mm-hmm. in, in a pond system, which we're yep. uh, ah darn clock. <laughs> There's the music. Hang, hang tight. We're gonna <laughs> the pond gnome. The pond gnome. We gotta give his phone number out at some point. Do you know it? You got six two three five seven two five six zero seven. You can't believe how many times we tell somebody to give your phone number and like uh uh. Uh, <laughs> they freeze up. I, I know my website with my phone number. You want me to remember a phone number? Well, I love her, but I love the fish. I spend all day out on this lake, and hell is all I catch. But today she met me. That'll solve your problem. Hey, quick question. SRP uses a special type of grass carp to keep the uh, weeds at bay. Could you grow that kind of grass carp in a uh, pond? Uh, that that okay. carp is highly restrictive. It's it's a uh, It takes permitting to move that fish around the state. It's called a triploid, and uh, it's a sterile grass carp, and it will strip the vegetation of any body of water like nothing you ever saw. 
That solves that problem. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, they they keep them around to keep the algae and any unwanted vegetation at bay. Paul, I'm on your website right now, just scrolling through the gallery. You have got, I mean, every job you do is fun. Oh, absolutely. It's a great way to make it. It's, it's physically demanding, but a very, very uh, interesting and artistic way to make a living. For This sure. stuff is beautiful. What kind of maintenance does this have compared to a swimming pool? So average pond that, that is similar to a swimming pool, the maintenance is mostly a gardening effort. So we use, we set up our ponds so that the biology takes care of the water quality, which is, you know, a healthy culture of zooplankton and, and healthy bacteria is converting fish waste and bird waste into plant food. Plants are uptaking the nutrients out of the water. And then the real maintenance item is removing plants. If you don't do any maintenance to our features, I always joke that they become a big potted plant. <laughs> so you got to removing plants from the feature is the major maintenance item. And then once a year, we recommend you clean out the biological filters. If they're built properly, once a year is often enough. And if you're a gardener, that's a great composting, I would imagine. If you're a gardener, um, pond maintenance is actually a relaxing pastime. If you don't like gardening, then a water garden might not be for you. <laughs> it does take some maintenance. Now, have you ever converted a swimming pool into this type of pond? If someone was tired of a pool but liked the water feature, could you convert it to a pond? It's, it's become a very popular thing for us, um, especially with empty nesters. Nobody's using this pool anymore. I'm tired of being out there vacuuming it and checking chemicals in it all the time. I, I think I want to stare at fish instead now that my kids are gone. And so converting swimming pools into ponds has become a, a very large part of our business, actually. Very cool. Well, we've got a guest on the line for this segment. Uh, we were talking about ponds you could go visit and see publicly. And he's been working on a pond for a botanical garden. And I don't know the. we were trying to decide yesterday, when was the last time a botanical garden was added to Arizona? I mean... The, the Botanical Gardens, Tucson Botanical Garden, they've been there for decades. I don't know, but Justin's been talking about doing this for 10 years, so it's, I'm glad he finally got it off the ground. Big plans. <laughs> Welcome, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell us what you're working on, qcgardens.org. qcgardens.org. So it's the world's first all-edible botanical garden, so it's a very unique little, little gem that we're creating here in Arizona, and in a way that I don't think people expected, you know, it's, it's got a lot of themed gardens from uh, Japanese edible gardens to Vietnamese edible gardens and tropical edible gardens, English, Italian, Mediterranean, uh, and a beautiful lake, as you guys were talking about, you know, nice big water feature with, with uh, some waterfalls and beautiful spaces for people to come and uh, just enjoy the outdoors a little bit and, you know, taste the beauty, as we like to say. And part of that uh, project you're working on with the pond and the waterfall, the waterfalls to help, you know, turn the water and ir ir aerate the water. But you've added a pretty neat feature to that waterfall. Well, the waterfall system, yeah, we diverted off. We actually have a, a flume. So to recapture some of the energy we used to create this whole waterfall system, we actually have a an 1880s era water wheel it's, i think it's the only functioning water wheel in arizona as far as we know and it's one of only three i think west of the mississippi and it's a fully functioning water wheel with all museum grade machinery in, inside that room where we're we can grind uh you know uh, ancient wheats and grains as well as a pecan cracking machine sorting machine 
uh, all there to, to enjoy and just kind of experience some of that, that old age, really uh, sustainable format, really, of making, making this kind of stuff happen. And where this is used to be a pecan orchard, but you're still surrounded by 3,000 more pecan trees that you'll be able to you know, process those pecans every year right there on site. Exactly. We actually teamed up with the subdivision that's actually just to the north of us. The uh, the property owner there is one of our partners in the in the entire project. One of the major donors of everything that we're doing out there, and uh, we we definitely have some very mature, you know, sixty foot pecan trees as part of our project. And so it's right there on site. And we got one hundred and thirty to one hundred and sixty year old uh, olive olive orchard that's actually a part of our our facilities as well in our Mediterranean garden. Um, so it's some, some really beautiful stuff we're bringing to that space. We're not done yet, so don't just come driving out and saying hello. You know, you can volunteer if you want to be a part of some of what we're creating, but uh, that's a big part of, uh, I think, why you brought me on, too, is so we can get this thing done. And if, you know, a lot of people are like, how come I haven't heard of this? Well, it's not open yet. On, on the website, it right. says y'all are oh, scheduled to open October 15th. Yeah, and, that's, uh, and that's, that's a pretty good date for us right now. We'll at least have a phase one open the lake, the stream system, a lot of the, the, the grass areas and open areas are all, all done. Those have been growing all throughout the, the spring. We actually had a, a spring open date, but that got shot out of the, <laughs> out yeah. of the cannon. We had to reset everything. Uh, and so we're just adding some more facilities in the meantime. And, and those new facilities will be opening up in October. And I'll get to come see the wagon wheel in operation and uh, you know, the processing of the pecans and when it's time for harvest. Absolutely. We've already get, had that thing up and running for a couple of months now. And so it's, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a beautiful, very unique feature and a very calming feature to, to our entire garden. I mean, some people put those little water wheels as a small little feature in their, in their backyard garden, but we've got a you know, big 14-foot one. So it's a nice two-story building with all the, all the fixings. Justin, I just went on your website and saw that we could go ahead and buy a tile to support your efforts. So we went ahead and did that and just look forward oh, to getting awesome. to come down. And I think, does that, so it was $350 for the tile. And does that come with membership as well? Or is it that just for the tile? It does come with membership uh-huh. as well for the first year once we open. So whenever we end up opening, that'll be kind of the start of that timeline. But the renewing, you know, of that, your, your tile is going to be as a founder. And that's what we're doing right now. This is founder's tiles. I mean, this is anyone's chance to be a part of a garden like this and really have their name etched in stone. It's literally in some beautiful white limestone. We've got some local guys that do the etching for us and everything too. Uh, and it'll be right there at the entrance to that grist mill, one of our main features on the site. And you'll, you'll be there forever. As long as we have that garden there, which we've set up to go forever, you know, your, your founding membership, your founding tile, you'll, you'll have your name on that garden. It'll be part of, part of your garden. We want it to be your garden. We want it to be the community's garden. We are excited. I can I ask you one more thing about that website? You had vegetable starters for sale on there. Is that, are those for sale now, or is that when you open? So we do have them starting now. So you can actually order stuff. We do. Uh, you can do a curbside pickup. So we do have curbside pickups set up with a lot of fruit trees as well as uh, veggie starts. And so, yeah, if, you, if they're online, that means we've got them in stock. Oh, great. You can order them and then schedule a time to come pick them up. We're going to be opening up the nursery section Probably in the next couple of weeks, we're almost done with a, kind of a temporary nursery tent and a big area where you can come and just wander through all the plants that we've been growing out there for the last couple of years and, uh, and be able to take them home and grow your own. And the location of this, you're putting this right next to the Queen Creek Equestrian Center and talk about the, 
the 10, 15 year development plan? Because this project goes beyond just the botanical gardens you're working on. I mean, your, your, your plans are pretty, you, 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 You've got the next 10 years thought through, <laughs> and like you said, forever, a lot more than 10 years. Pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been quite a number of years in the process of coordinating with, with towns and count, counties. And, you know, there was, there was an old, uh, it, it's basically Ellsworth and Riggs Road is where you'll find us. We're just offset just to the west of Riggs and Ellsworth on the, on the north side of the road. And there's a new street called 206th Street. And so we, we backset our botanical garden to really come off of that. Riggs Road, make it a little quieter and stuff. There's a, a Fat Cats Family Entertainment Center. It's, it's, a, it's And all the way to, I think, Hawes Road, that whole section is really being designated to more of a agritainment space. And so with the Equestrian Center right there, good partners with, with them. We're great partners with them. And then there's a big cap, which was an old, it was an old uh, landfill that they used for decades and decades out there that we've now worked out with something with the county. So we have this large equestrian center that's going to in that equestrian park space we call it eagle park and it's part of this nonprofit organization that we've developed for the for the botanical garden that will allow us to extend these parks into more public spaces for horses and fodder growing and and a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be happening there so that's another 94 acres that'll be coming later that really connects the whole trail system throughout all of queen creek for equestrian people and bikes and all that stuff that'll go through all these gardens and our, our uh, botanical garden is just a piece of that, that big, I guess you can call it a necklace, going through all of Queen Creek. We're kind of the, the crown jewel, I guess you could say, right there in the center. That's where we're at. And you guys need to put like a tram to, and just have a circle that would go from your place to Queen Creek Olive Mill to the pork shop to Snap Farms. I mean, you, you, y'all are really in a great center for that agritainment. We really are. Maybe we should have it be. It's a horse-drawn, a horse-drawn carriage would probably be the best way to do it. We've got all those nice equestrian trails, and, and that's probably the way we'd do it. That sounds like a great idea. Thanks, it, thanks it, Romy, for <laughs> bringing that one up. Well, just let me know when it gets started. I want the contract as the driver, and we'll get the Belgians. <laughs> there we go. All right, give the website again and uh, the, the sponsorship for the tile if you want to have your name etched in stone on what I think is going to be a, a – destination landmark for a lot of years to come the queen creek botanical gardens yep so it's qcgardens.org and uh, there's a tab on there on support and on support you'll be able to go and find out more about how to how to become a founding member and uh, those founding members there's a number of different packages in there as well if you want to even donate for a bench that'll be there on site and have a special memory or a person that you'd like to have there where you can go and think about them as you enjoy the beautiful gardens or those those tiles right there in the front and that's really what we're doing right now is really pushing those those founding member tiles where we can get your name etched in there you can get a family crest etched on there or your logo on there which it sounds like that's what you guys will be doing rosie is that about right you'll have to ask jennifer she's on the other line and didn't catch that she <laughs> okay, <got laughs> she she logged on this morning like oh we're doing that <laughs> which we had already planned to do anyway and i have to confess justin i just got completely sucked into your website sorry i was copying things to send to oh, rosie because he's he's now our he's taken up gardening quite heavily so he's he's it's pretty cute <laughs> our eggplant was two inches long and uh we had one so sorry babe <laughs> you had one. Well, you can come out to the gardens. I, I know we've got we got probably a few thousand of them still in, in some of our production bed areas and some of our, our display gardens and stuff that we've been growing. We got 
eggplants out the wazoo. So if you if you need a few for your wazoo, you know you got uh, you got a few more for you. But we're we're looking forward to learning from you. Awesome. Hey, Justin, I just want to say congratulations on getting this uh, dream of yours off the ground. I'm excited about going out and visiting it. Good job, guy. Well, thank you, and thank you for the inspiration you've always been for me, Paul. I think a lot of the, the trust I have in building a pond system that could even survive and grow beautifully, you know, comes from me being able to experience a number of your ponds throughout the valley and bringing you on projects that we've done. It's like you've always been a, a joy to work with and, and always the kind of guy that really makes a beautiful product and really loves what you do. So, well, you know, I'm mano y mano. It's like, thank you. Hey, thank you. You're, we're really proud of you out there. Keep going. I'm just waiting to see the incense <laughs> in your room, Gary, start filling up. <laughs> hey, man, you're already here. <laughs> no cross legs sitting, though, on the top of the desk. <laughs> okay, deal. Talking about backyard ponds, and I've saved this to really get into it. We've touched on it briefly, but it's called a, a recreational or a living pond, and these are ponds that are designed to swim in, and what really draws me to that is I never said I'd have a lawn or a pool, but when you have kids in the Arizona summer, that changes pretty drastically because it's what you're going to sit inside all day. If you've got a lawn and a pond, you've got something to get your wiggles out. And if they swim, they sleep at night. (laughs) Amen to that. Yeah. uh, uh, Sitting in the air conditioning, playing Xbox all day is not really a a great option when you got four of them there, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And from where we plan to put this pool to the mountains that are, are in the view to the south, there's, I don't know, I haven't calculated, but at least 100 square miles of desert dust. And if we put in a pool... I'd be nothing but cleaning it. And during the summer, I could justify that. But the six, seven months out of the year that we can't swim in it, I'm going to be cursing it the whole time. And so this concept of a living pond that, you know, Year-round entertainment. That's that's exactly right. When you're not swimming in it, you're watching fish swim around in it, dragonflies float above it, and birds visit it. And All the boys uh, playing with frogs and turtles and snails. I live in a track home development, and I have a, a front pond and stream that the local boys and a couple of girls actually spend a lot of time flipping rocks over looking for whatever's living underneath. And um, it's funny cause their parents will get nervous. They say, don't, don't play around with Mr. Holdeman's pond. And I'm outside going, Hey, please let them play with the pond. I love watching this. I love, you know, let me photograph them and I'm happy to let them play in it. Cause this is what kids ought to be doing. And what's, you know, there's some people that argue this problem with our society is not enough kids building forts and playing in the side of a stream. Well, where this living pond is going to go is underneath one of the trees that the tree fort's going to go into and one of the design features we've got to make sure is it's got to be deep enough you can cannonball out of the tree house into the pond <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um that's yeah that definitely one of the major requests that ha- comes to us from, from those and rosie asked an interesting question are the fencing rules the same you know on a pool you've got to have a like two points of uh what do they call it restrainment to get to the you've got to have like a closing uh back door hinge You've got to have a fence. You've, you know, two different ways that uh, per, per, barriers. barriers. There yeah. we go. Barriers to to it. Does that apply to a living pond? It's 
it, it, it's a very complicated area, and each situation is completely unique. Um, if I'm in the middle of a uh, uh, track home development, then yeah, I want pool code fencing around anything over two foot deep. But if I'm out on a farm or on a big ranch, then ranch ponds can be as deep as you want them to be. So we're we're it, it's it's definitely a gray area, and I don't think there's any code that absolutely fixes on it. Um, everybody, the people that have strong opinions, have really strong opinions about it. So um, it, officially, the it, if it's over two feet deep, it needs a pool code fence around it. Um, Outside of that, Arizona is an interesting state when it comes to these kinds of laws. So it depends on the the uh, the, the city you're dealing with. And on, if it's something that you're not going to use for swimming, two feet's plenty deep for accomplishing a lot of koi ponds. And I, I can raise a lot of fish and animals in a two foot deep water garden for and, sure. And you mentioned you want to have it deep enough to do cannonball. How deep can you go? Well, I, I, so I was involved in a project in Chicago with about 300 other guys, and we built one 13 feet deep. And it had an underwater swim cave, and it had uh, six-foot-tall diving boulders on the side of it next to the waterfall. And we called it the most extreme pond build. It was built in 2008, if you can believe that. But it was planned and funded in 2007. So that must have been fun for the owner to watch. Oh, man. <laughs> so, but that pond's still there. It's out by DuPont Airport in um, Chicagoland area, and it's, uh, it's a spectacular pond. And I'm going to ask you this question just to save you from answering a lot of these questions later because I know there's a lot of listeners out there like me that uh, like to do things themselves. They like to do the improvements. They like to be able to say, yes, I built that. Um, do you design ponds and then let the people build them themselves for the diehard do-it-yourselfer? And the answer is no, because that's what you told me. But I was just putting that yep, out there so nope. you don't have to answer this to... Good call. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. You know, the problem is that there's a lot that goes into learning about how to properly build a pond. And so we did some consulting in the early days, but it was funny. It, I'm sure it's my fault, but I can't seem to design something with enough detail to it that the guy that pulls it off has the same thing that I envision. So training a crew to, to pull off my vision is, has been challenging enough, but trying to get somebody that's never done it before to do the right things and uh, not cut any corners has been, it was so big a challenge and there were so many problems that occurred that we finally said, no, we're not doing that anymore. It just um, creates too many, too many backlash problems. For and us. I realize that some things you do have to bite your pride and hire out. And this is one we've come to that because the last thing I want to do is put in all this time and effort and have this big pond that's the water's disgusting and (laughs) fish are dying and floating and it's got all you know it it turns into then a big headache (laughs) yeah i don't know the exact numbers but i'd say over a third of our work starts with a poorly built pond (laughs) pondgnome.com and your phone number again 623-572-5607 spell gnome g (laughs) it sounds it spells like gnome g-n-o-m-e (laughs) Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Paul Holdeman. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys.